his car toppled, building entirely crushed and crumbled. I'm not sure if it's safe to report from my vantage point. I I really need to leave. So the fences informed me that the surrounding areas are, are in ruin. I, I see some people running now. In the opinion of this reporter, if this nation, or in fact the world, ever needed heroes, that time is now. That time is now. Welcome to the 10-year anniversary episode of Aquaman and Firestorm, the Fire and Water Podcast, a proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. I'm one of your hosts, the Airdable Shag, and with me today is my co-host for a decade, the man himself, Mr. Rob Kelly. How you doing, buddy? Hey, Shag. You know, uh, you know how things get uh, better with age? <laughs> and, 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 th- and then there's this. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> I think you posted on Facebook the other day, we're like an old married couple. We just figured the more we stay out of each other's way, the better off it is. <laughs> we sleep in separate beds now. So, folks, yeah, uh, it has been 10 years <laughs> since we launched the very first episode of the Fire and Water Podcast Network, which we thought was just going to be this little lark that probably wouldn't go anywhere. Um, it's kind of grown beyond what we expected, wouldn't you think? A bit. <laughs> A bit. <laughs> Just a tad, just a tad. So here, here's what we decided. We've done different celebrations over the years. We had a big celebration in episode 100. We did some cool stuff at 200. We did some fun stuff at 250, different things, seven years, all this stuff. We decided for 10 years, after a solid decade, we're doing this kind of low key. We're going back to basics. We're going to go back for this episode to the core of what started this show. We're going to celebrate some old stories with our favorite characters and just enjoy them. And that's all it's going to be. It's very simple. Not a lot of bells and whistles, just going back to what the show and how it started. Yeah. We, uh, we've, we, as you said, we've done a bunch of anniversary shows and we've, we've gone and, and we'll talk about this a little bit. We've gone off in our own directions and done different things that we're interested in, but yeah, Aquaman and Firestorm was the initial idea of all of this. And we have both gotten away from the characters a bit. We can talk about that, why that's happened, but we thought it would be fun to just go back and dig up some old stories that we wanted to talk about. Like we used to do every single week for like five years. (laughs) (laughs) So for those of you who weren't there in the beginning, just to give you a little bit of history here, this whole thing started because Rob and I were both bloggers back when that was really a thing. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm just kidding. It still is. We love you, Ange. Anyway. So, um, (laughs) 
uh, Rob was doing a blog on Aquaman. I was doing a blog on Firestorm. And we found each other in the sphere. That's a whole lot of stories there. But either way, we started doing partnerships. We would do crossovers where Aquaman and Firestorm appeared in a comic book together. We both covered on our blogs. We thought that was a lot of fun. And then you reached out to me. And, and what, what was your initial idea behind starting a podcast? Well, I, yeah, I had wanted the, the shrine had gotten pretty all encompassing in terms of my time uh, back then. And I was like, well, I wanted to kind of expand it into some other things. And I thought, well, why not try a, a podcast? And I had heard you on one of Bailey's shows mm-hmm. talking about who's who. And I was like, well, this, okay. And I already knew you, but I was like, well, this could be interesting. And I thought, well, I don't want to do a podcast just on Aquaman, just me talking, despite, you know, how much talking I do do on microphones i, I want to have guests and i was like well it won't be it'll be more fun if i do it with somebody so i reached out to you and i thought also on top of it, it you know by combining characters it just gives us more stuff to talk about as opposed to just being aquaman so i reached out to you and said why don't we do this together and i i've said this a bunch of times before and it always sounds like i'm trying to be insulting and i'm not at least not this early in the show it's like <laughs> had i known how much you're going to rely on your partner when you do a podcast i never would have started it and and again let <laughs> no, me you I, gotta I let me you gotta, you gotta, <laughs> I gotta let me finish and what i'm saying is is that if i had known that the fear of it because i didn't know you that well back then we didn't know each other that well back then but realizing that when you go down when you start doing something like this with a partner you have to rely on them a lot and you really better know them pretty well before you do it or there could be trouble and uh, you and i didn't know each other all that well and it was one of those things where we, had, I... we had we had one phone call before yes, we recorded I the first so. episode yeah. now to yeah, be yeah. fair we recorded the first episode three times we did but, <laughs> but nevertheless i mean it, it's just the kind of thing where i'm like had i been told that it might have scared me off because i might have said well geez i don't know geez i could maybe only do that with like you know one or two people that i know that well but luckily i had the I had ignorance and uh, I went ahead and I did it, but it you still worked- do by the way, oh, you still do. Yes. But I mean, it all worked out because now it's grown into this thing that I am enormously proud of. I've said it before. It is uh, even though I spent 10 years as a, as a freelance illustrator and I did a lot of things that I was proud of. This thing is the most satisfying creative thing I've ever been involved with. The thing I'm the most proud of. And had I known had I known what I knew back then, I wouldn't have started it. But thank God I didn't know those things. Right. Because we went ahead and did it anyway. Now, it's funny. If you look back at Rob's history, folks, back then when we started this, he was, as I said, a blogger. He had a blog on Aquaman. He had a blog on Treasury Comics. He had a blog on Digest Comics. He had a blog on MASH. Is this all starting to sound familiar? <laughs> uh, you really do see my, my, my madness there. Of how he just starts doing it and they just replicate from there. I, I was very excited about this because I had wanted to talk about Firestorm on a podcast for a while, and I couldn't figure out an outlet for it. And when you approached me, uh, it, we started talking about doing this with Aquaman and Firestorm, which we knew was ludicrous. It was absolutely ludicrous. In fact, as years went on, people used to make we used to, we would hear through the grapevine people making fun of us. Like people would be like, when they're comparing somebody who's crazy, they'd be like, "You're like those guys who podcast about Aquaman and Firestorm." Yes, mm-hmm. we got that kind of reputation. 
Uh, and when we were trying to decide a name, this is, uh, we struggled for a long time before we landed on Fire and Water. At one point, we were towing around with the name The Fish Fry Podcast, which I'm really glad we did not land on. Oof. But we were trying to find something with fire and water, and then thankfully we came to it. But yeah, so I, I've, been, I've been guesting on a lot of podcasts for a long time. And Michael Bailey, I was kind of his semi-regular co- co-host, and he'll never forgive me that I partnered with you rather than him. But uh, <clears throat> I'm still paying for it, so don't worry. But uh, it, it's, it really has been the most fulfilling for me as well, creatively. I've never been involved with a project as I have with the network that's given me so much joy and so much happiness and makes me feel, feel, feel fulfilled. So it's, um, it's been a really great experience, and I'm so glad we did it. And, you know, and the funny part is, too, what, what the impetus for the timing of launching 10 years ago was the fact that Aquaman and Firestorm were both about to get a brand-new number one series in the new 52. <laughs> which is another one of those ignorance is bliss kind of things. If we'd known what we were getting into then, we probably would have said, forget it. How many DC Universe reboots was that ago at this right? point? Like well, five, six? There's a lot of soft reboots, but yeah, absolutely. <sighs> so the first episode was released on September 7th, 2011. It was just three weeks before the, those two number one issues came out. They came out on the same day too, by the way. And we, we started the podcast. We did a couple episodes. Uh, we got great feedback right out of the gate. I mean, right out of the gate. And I think that was partially because it was growing out of the audience from the blogs. But we got some really great feedback from friends of ours that are still like Ryan Daly left a message on the very first episode. How crazy is that? And, uh, and, and uh, Russell Burbage and, oh gosh, so many people, Frank. And it's just been great to watch that community grow. And something that I started trying to dig back in my memories on a way we used to do this. And this may be meaningless to you folks, but anybody who has a podcast, you know, there's a lot of challenges that go in producing it. Things like the RSS feed and how to get it out to people to get to their phones and everything. And we, back then we, we went way around uh, the, I don't know, jury rigged how to do it. We set up an, a, a blog spot page, which created the RSS, which is what we fed to iTunes for a long time. Till that stopped working. I don't know if you remember this or not. It stopped working. And from then, I had to handwrite the XML code <laughs> for years, which, by the way, is not, not something I ever recommend to anyone. But thank you, Michael Bailey, again, helped me figure out how to do that. And then, of course, we launched the network in 2016. And it all came, again, from the, to celebrate something we loved. And, and you mentioned it, Rob. We, we should address sort of the elephant in the room as far as why we don't produce a lot of new episodes and things like that is that – First off, we've talked about these characters for 10 years. There's only so much we've got in us to talk about it on too regular of a basis. So that's part of the reason, was scale back the number of episodes so that when we do do them, they're more meaningful to us. Uh, and also, the new material doesn't necessarily bring us a lot of joy. Um, Firestorm hasn't had an ongoing series for several years. Uh, does Aquaman have an ongoing series right now, Rob? He does not. Uh, for the longest time, I was saying, this will be the series that finally gets Aquaman past 75 issues because i mean good lord he's a movie star now and uh no i actually learned uh, i i hate to admit this i i have not been buying the, i didn't buy the new aquaman comic book for a while it was canceled as of number 66 oh my gosh. so he's <laughs> never gonna get past 75 ever if i mean he's never gonna be more popular than he was right now and even then the book couldn't get past 66 issues so he's just aquaman will never see triple digits <laughs> they're gonna have to do like they did uh for the batman with 1027 they're just gonna have to add up all the numbers right yeah <laughs> yeah you pile them all up then it's like 300 something but that's sure. kind of a cheat so at the end of the day rob still loves aquaman and i still oh, love yeah. Firestorm, and i still love firestorm but we love them in our own ways so it's our passion doesn't come from what they're producing today or tomorrow most of it comes from what we grew up loving or stuff that just really resonated with us for whatever reason in a particular era so we do plan to continue to produce this show 
it, it won't be very regularly. I mean, you can see from this past year, I think we've put out, what, three episodes so far this entire year. Um, and it's going to be very rare that we cover something new. Uh, we actually have plans to, to cover something. I'm not going to say what yet, but we do have plans to co- cover something new in the horizon. Uh, but we're going to find topics that spark our passion. Like, you know, I did recent episodes about uh, Firestorm on TV or Firestorm's favorite team-ups. You know, something that I could find. It was a little different. It wasn't just an issue review and something that I loved. And so that's, I think, where we're really going to aim our focus. Absolutely. I mean, they are shooting Aquaman 2 right now, apparently. So uh, I never thought that was ever going to happen, but apparently it is. And so You, you went on record saying it was never going to happen. Yeah, so. I was sure it was never going to happen, but apparently it is. And once you start shooting, it's, it's going to happen. So uh, we'll be talking about that. And, and yeah, I mean, for me, the Shrine, uh, the, the reason I gave up the Shrine after 10 years, after 11 years, is that the mission had been accomplished, sort of, is that when I started the Shrine... Aquaman was dead in the DC universe. He was, he was a complete and utter joke. And there was a lot of like, you know, I, I felt like I had to defend him. Well, after he becomes a movie star <laughs> and he becomes one of the pillars of the DC universe, again, thanks to Jeff Johns being such a cheerleader and thanks to the series that he wrote with, and then, uh, you know, that he wrote and then drew by, it was drawn by uh, Ivan Reese and Joe Prado. Um, Aquaman is not, he didn't, you didn't have to defend him anymore. Uh, I mean, he's all over the place. He's everywhere. There's toys. There's every, you know. So it, at a certain point, it was like, well, I part of this was kind of like defending this character that I felt needed defending. Well, after he didn't need defending anymore, you know, <laughs> he just he just doesn't. <laughs> so that was part of it as well. And so that you know, you and I went off and sort of followed our own interests both together. We did the JSA stuff together, and we still do Who's Who because that show's got 19 more years left to go. But uh, I've, I've, all- I've worked that plan. That is correct. Yeah. And but I mean, it was great. It opened it it opened the door to us pursuing other things that we enjoy because we like other things, and that's been marvelous. And so all of it comes from starting the Aquaman blog on on a on a quiet Friday night. And I just I can't believe somehow some the way your life can change uh, due to relatively seemingly minor circumstances. And I think the greatest thing that's come for me. In all of this, and oh, by the way, I'm sorry. I should add what what Rob just described. The shortcut would have been we follow we followed our joy. You know, that's yep. that's the whole network. Everything we do on it is all about finding our joy, and that's what we've been doing. So, I think the thing I find the most joy in the network and everything we built is the community of friends. Um, whether it's we're at a convention and we're all together, or I'm traveling around for work and I get to stop into cities and see people, it's amazing the group of people that we become friends with, uh, all because of this silly little talking into a microphone or the blogging or whatever. And it's an amazingly large community and all you people listening right now are part of it and we love you guys. And I'm so glad to call you all my friends. I, I really mean that. It's been an incredible um support system in my life that's been wonderful seconded absolutely it's been never would have expected uh this to happen and but uh but it has and uh like i said it, it's just incredibly important to me in so many ways and so like i said we're, we're really proud of it and we're glad we could keep it going but it is also going to be nice to for at least tonight go back to talking about aquaman and firestorm yeah yeah it'll be fun well you know what we need to do rob we need to do something that we normally do at this point which is to thank our sponsors and uh this episode of the fire and water podcast is sponsored in part by InStockTrades.com. InStock trades is your best online source for trades hardcovers and other collectors all for up to 42 percent off with free shipping on orders of 50 dollars or more now what'd you bring buddy now i've plugged this many times before but who cares it's aquaman the search for mira the deluxe edition hardcover. It collects Aquaman numbers 40 through 48, 
by Steve Skeets and Jim Aparo. The cover is by Nick Cardi. Right there. Some three of the greatest names that ever do ever uh, touch Aquaman. Uh, it is a hardcover edition. The normal price is $34.99, but in stock trades price is $20.29. That's 42% off. These are some still, these are some of the best Aquaman comics ever done. And I am really glad that at least these issues have been reprinted. So check it out. Aquaman, the search for mirror hardcover. That's awesome. And you had quite a few uh, Aquaman choices to choose from. I, not so much on the Firestorm side, but I found a good one. Uh, DC Nuclear Winter Special, number one. And this was uh, something that came out in 2018. It was a, their Christmas special, and it was an anthology with a bunch of stories. But there is a fantastic one in there with Firestorm. And it's uh, called Last Christmas. And it's actually a sequel to the Amazing Justice League Action episode where Firestorm met with the nuclear family. And the story was written by Paul Dini with art by Jerry Ordway. I mean, come on, right there. What, what a pedigree. And it features the Ronnie Raymond and Professor Stein Firestorm uh, in a post-apocalyptic world dealing with uh, the remnants of the nuclear family. And it's just, it's a joy. We actually covered it in an episode a while back. It was a great there. story. Yeah, it really, really was. And, uh, you know, in, in the scheme of things, it's relatively inexpensive. It's, uh, the, the comic itself is full color. Format is just a little soft cover. Um, it's normally $9.99, but you can get it for 42% off. So it's only $5.79. I mean, that's just nothing. That's practically the price of a regular comic nowadays. So definitely go out to Insect Traits and pick up both of these. Uh, and please tell them the Fire and Water Network sent you. We also need to thank you folks at home. We, we've spent some time waxing your cars, telling you folks how much we love you. But really, the network is supported with your help through Patreon. When, you know, when we started the show 10 years ago, it was just Rob and I. And then in 2016, when we joined forces with our friends to form the network, well, all this time has gone by, and the, and the cost to maintain the network, they've grown considerably. And so we realized that we needed some help, and that's where you folks stepped in, to, and we really appreciate it. So if you're enjoying the Fire and Water Podcast Network, the best way to support the show is by visiting our Patreon. And what's that Patreon, Rob? Patreon.com slash Podcast. While you're there, please consider supporting the Firewater Podcast Network. And at certain sponsorship tiers, you'll get thanked on your favorite shows, just like these folks who asked to be thanked on the Aquaman and Firestorm show. Our thanks to Adam Ackerman, Philip Rutledge, Gord Tolton, Jason Pope, Jay Campbell, David Ace Gutierrez, and Robert Lewis. Again, folks, just visit our Patreon at patreon.com slash fwpodcast. All right, so uh, I think we're going to take a quick podcast promo break for the Aquaman Shrine and Firestorm fan. And uh, when we come back, <laughs> we're going to talk about a couple of issues of our favorite heroes. New from Supermates Recordings. Chilling sounds from the house of Franklin Stein. The blood-curdling sounds of horror in one four-episode set. Featuring your favorite stars from classic spooky films. Lon Chaney Jr. and Bella Lugosi. Father was Frankenstein. That your mother was the lightning. Peter Cushing and Stephanie Beecham. The nightmare's over. I don't think it is. And Christopher Lee. I have returned to destroy you. Bud Abbott and Lou Costello. I'm gonna haunt him. That's what I'm gonna do. Mm-hmm. Heather Langenkamp and Johnny Depp. Do you believe in the boogeyman? No. And Robert England. I'm your boyfriend now, Nancy. Here's more. The hit House of Frankenstein theme by Terry O'Malley. Order now and you'll receive bonus comic stories featuring your favorite superheroes versus fiendish monsters. Offer ends October 31st and it's not available in any store. Here's how to order. To order the chilling sounds from the House of Frankenstein, save all credit card and COD charges by visiting fireandwaterpodcast.com or search for Fire and Water Podcast Network or Supermates. Podcatchers are standing by. 
On your mark, get set, go for the Fire and Water Network Superman Virtual Run. Coming this October, join comic book fans and fellow Fire and Water Network listeners in a 5K run. Obviously, we can't all run together in the same place, but you can do this anywhere you want. You can run or even walk around your hometown, around the block, nature trails, or even a treadmill. You can make this race your own. We're doing this in conjunction with the official DC Comics Superman Virtual Run. This official virtual run comes with some cool Superman swag and is helping raise money for charity. For our Fire and Water Network run, we're recommending running a 5K. However, anyone can participate by running or even just walking as little as one mile. Or you can do 5K or 10K. Your choice. For those participating, just pick any date in October to run. Many of us are targeting the week of October 18th through 24th, but any October date works. For more information and to register for the Fire and Water Network run, visit our Sign Up Genius page at fireandwaterpodcast.com slash run2021. That's R-U-N-2021. Once you're on the Sign Up Genius page, you'll need the access code to enter. The access code is simply the word JOY, all lowercase J-O-Y. Now, there's no cost to join this Fire & Water Network run. However, we strongly encourage you to also register for the official DC Comics Superman Virtual Run on their website. It's a fun program that comes with great Superman run perks. Their fee is $40 per individual, but remember, they are helping raise money for charity. So join us for this fun, healthy, and super heroic event in October. Remember, to participate, you can do as little as walking just one mile. For more details and to sign up, visit fireandwaterpodcast.com slash run2021 and use the access code JOY. On your mark, get set, go! All right, folks, it is time to do what we did best back in the days, which is talk at great lengths about some comic books that we absolutely adore, featuring some heroes we absolutely adore, and just celebrating things that bring us joy. So, Rob, you're going to start us off with a classic, or I need you to say the word classic, actually, (laughs) classic issue of Aquaman. This is a classic adventure of Aquaman, <laughs> and we get a little bonus Green Arrow action. But before we start this, uh, I did not bring uh, any champagne with me to celebrate because I don't drink champagne. But I did bring a very nice pumpkin ale, which I'm going to open live on the air here. Oh, how so, exciting. That. Yes, there we go. You can hear that. Um, I had one earlier, so this is my second one. So I might get a little tipsy by the end of the show, but we'll, we'll see what happens. <laughs> You can so, hear the you can hear the cease and desist orders coming from Jeff and Rick presents for uh, stealing their shake of drinking. Out oh, of the that's air. right! I forgot about ah. There, <laughs> come on, you know. So uh, <laughs> they didn't they didn't invent drinking on air. That's so, true. <laughs> uh, all right, so let's we're going to go way back to 1959 uh, for Adventure Comics number 267. The cover date was December of 1959. This comic was on sale on October 29th. 1959 the cover price was 10 cents now of course on the cover uh there is no aquaman or even green arrow to be found superboy and the legion of superheroes was the, the selling point of this comic so aquaman hardly never got any covers here um but, uh, but nevertheless uh, this this story is very special and uh before i you know what, i'm not going to tip it why it's special we'll, we'll get to it in a moment so anyway the story is called the manhunt on land it's only eight pages it's written by robert bernstein Drawn by Ramona Fraiden, the great Ramona Woo-hoo! Fraiden, and edited by Mort Weinziger, who was Aquaman's co-creator. So, okay, this, the story is, uh, the notorious crook, Shark Norton, is planning to escape from jail and is determined not to run afoul of his foe, Aquaman, again, but giving up being a sea pirate. In the next cell over, another crook named the Wizard is also planning to release himself on his own recognizance and making a, makes a similar promise about avoiding his foe, Green Arrow. Using a scuba suit and a catapult made from pilfered parts, the two crooks escape jail. 
Later, the Coast Guard alerts Aquaman as to what has happened. So he can stay on land longer than an hour. Aquaman builds a scuba helmet, giving him a supply of water. He arrives in Star City, which is currently unprotected since Green Arrow is at sea hunting down the wizard. Aquaman drives around Star City in a pickup truck, outfitted with a water tank containing (laughs) some of his finny friends. Shark Norton tries to shoot its headlights out, but the Sea King asks some luminous fish to provide illumination. He then has a school of swordfish leap out of the tank and pin Shark's hooded goons to a wall, kind of like Green Arrow would, except Aquaman wouldn't go on and on about the underprivileged. After thwarting another attempt by Shark's gang to steal some money, Aquaman challenges Shark to a duel of sorts in the heart of town to get him out of hiding. Shark threatens to kill Aquaman's finny friends in the Star City Aquarium if the Sea King doesn't come alone, a stipulation that Aquaman accepts. Shark then tries to get the drop on the Sea King, but Aquaman's quick reflexes enable him to avoid Shark and his men shooting at him, and the the bullets shatter the glass tank, filling the room with water. Aquaman commands a shark to nab Shark Norton in the butt. While Shark is being escorted back to jail, he grouses that he thought, wrongly, that Aquaman was helpless on land. Oh, how wrong he was. Later, Aquaman pals around with his finny friends in the aquarium and wonders how Green Arrow is doing at sea against the wizard. Now, not only is this a really fun story, but it is the only time that Aquaman and Green Arrow cross over in adventure comics. They were both uh, backup features in this series for better part of, I think, 13 years uh, from like 47 to 60. They never met until this comic. Well, isn't this his first superhero crossover ever of any kind? Or had he met or already met people in another story? This is essentially, yes, his first crossover. The only thing, <laughs> the only time you, and these, are, these weren't crossovers, the only other time Aquaman was ever really referenced as being in the same universe was there was one time where he made a joke where he threw, I think he flies, throws like a, um, a, a starfish or something. And he says something like, I'm making like Batman. Oh, okay. uh, and then in an issue of more going back even further in an issue of more fun comics, um, which Aquaman was a part of in the Johnny quick strip. He was, a, he was also a feature in that book. He goes underwater at one point and he says something like I'm making like Aquaman. Mm. So that was the only time they, but yes, this is, this is a full two months before the justice league debuts in brave and the bull number 28. So this is the first time Aquaman has met another member of the DC stable. And this is the first and only time they're going to cross over. And we're going to, in a moment, I'm going to give you the recap for the second story because Aquaman's in that one too. <laughs> you know, what blows my mind is looking at this thing. Besides the fact that it's a lot of fun, we got stuff to talk about with that. This is only 20 issues after the premiere of the Legion. Uh, Adventure Comics 247. It was the the infamous issue with the the Legion for the first time. So it's hard for me to imagine a time before the Legion. It really is. So the fact that Aquaman was doing a story this great, this uh, iconic, right around the same period just blows my mind. I mean, yeah, they were an instant hit the minute they appeared on the cover. I think, yeah. you know, they, they must have realized the sales had gone up and they were like, all right, we got to got to put them on the cover. But now, I mean, man, there's so much to love about this story. Well, I got to ask real quick because, folks, you can read this. This is on the DC Universe app. If you subscribe, it's one of the only issues in this little run that is out there. And so it's super fun to have found it out there. So Aquaman in the because that's where I'm reading it on the Universe app. In this version I'm reading, his gloves are green. So I got to ask, were they originally yellow at this point or were they green at this point? Well, they, at this point, uh, the colorist, whoever was coloring these stories was not paying much attention because they actually toggled back and forth. (laughs) 
<laughs> they really did. You, they would do like two in a row where they'd be yellow and then they'd be green for six and then one more yellow. And then so obviously they weren't paying too terribly much attention. Eventually they go green and they stay green. Right. Because uh, once you go green, you never go back. Exactly. Right. Uh, but but here, I mean, yeah, they're green here. But yeah, I think there might have even been a couple more yellow because uh, he's actually his uh, his gloves are yellow on the cover of Brave and Bold 28. Um, oh, that's so, right. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, the, the, they just weren't bothering to really pay too much attention to that. Um, so, <laughs> sadly. I mean, obviously, I am a Ramona Fraden stan. There's no doubt about that. I mean, I just think her work is absolutely marvelous. Every issue that she drew always had such wonderful visual life to it. Uh, you know, cartoony, but never going too far. Always everything's people, you know, people have weight and real like sort of presence in the page, but yet it's, it's just sort of like incredibly simplified, just absolutely gorgeous work. And uh, there, that is no exception here. I mean, I absolutely love uh, this guy, Shark Norton, by the way, there was a, <laughs> um, there was a, a villain from adventure comics number two, Oh three called the shark with the human brain. Right. And they are, uh, they look kind of the same cause they're basically humans with shark faces. Um, and I was, I thought, oh, this is this, is this the same guy? No, it's not. It's a completely different character. And shark Norton here, um, acts like he is Aquaman's old foe, but he's never appeared before. Wow. See, I was convinced he must've been a reoccurring bag. Like the, I was like, Oh, this must be the new blackjack or something, but yeah. no, yeah, interesting. The new blackjack. Nobody <laughs> wants to be the new blackjack. Uh, but no, no, he, this is it. This is it for shark Norton. This is the only appearance he makes too. What, what about the wizard? Was he, cause same he's the thing. other villain. No, oh, same wow. thing. And this wizard, this wizard is no connection to the one from earth Two that, you know, you're familiar with, mm -hmm. with the injustice gang. Uh, yeah, these are one off guys. And yet they both act as though that they are longtime foes of their respective heroes. But I mean, man, I love the Shark Norton's face because he's got these kind of like nasty teeth and his eyes are really big. Like he kind of looks like a shark. Mm -hmm. um, so, I mean, in a lot of ways, he would be like, a, he would have been a great Batman villain, not that Batman needs more villains. But I mean. Or Dick Tracy. Or especially Dick Tracy because they all had the malformed faces. But he kind of looks like a shark. And I especially love his goons, the henchmen, <laughs> because they, uh, Shark Norton give, gave them all bags to wear over their heads and um they have uh, shark mouths knitted mm -hmm. onto the mask so they kind of look like the scarecrow from yep. batman begins and it's like they're kind of creepy looking even though you know this is obviously meant to be for children but to me it has a real kind of creepy energy to it that they're just kind of these guys in these uh hooded head you know bag heads running around um so, I mean, just that right there is just, I just love the way Ramona Fraden puts this across. I love, absolutely love that Shark Norton's plan uh, is to uh, scuba gear out. And he says he built, he built the scuba collection from parts he got in the, uh, uh, from, from the jail. And he says he made, he made good with the warden because he was a perfect gentleman. And um, the wizard's plan to escape that's jail the, is. That's my favorite. Yeah. The <laughs> wizard literally catapults himself over the wall. He builds a giant catapult and just throws himself off. Right. And, and the whole premise of the thing is hilarious. You know, Shark's plan is he's going to get as far away from the sea as possible so that he doesn't have to bump up against Aquaman anymore. And the wizard decides he's going to get as far away from land so he doesn't bump into Green Arrow anymore. And yet they both go out through their perspective areas of water yes, and do. land. But, yeah. but that whole spring catapult thing, it's hysterical. By the way, where does, where does that... Well, that's a whole different story. Because uh, it actually says click here. It doesn't say boing. It says uh, click and whoosh. But the whole All idea... catapults go boing. 
Everyone knows. That. Fine. Now we're having this discussion. My wife and I actually had this discussion tonight. So there you go. You started us on this. Where does that sound effect boing for people jumping come from? Because nothing in nature makes that noise. Probably Warner Brothers cartoons. Right. I mean, that's what we came up with was cartoons, really. Is, yeah. Okay. So anyway, the whole idea of, you know, Shark Norton, he's going to go to land so that Aquaman can't catch him. What about the police? What about other superheroes? What about a citizen's arrest? Anything. The only person on the entire planet he's worried about is Aquaman. And the only person uh, the wizard is worried about on the entire planet is Green Arrow. So he goes to see it. Like, what about the Coast Guard? I mean, goodness gracious. It is a little bit of a flawed plan, I have to say, when they're, they're logic. So uh, after they escape, I love that the Coast Guard has to tell Aquaman that, uh, that Shark Norton has escaped. Now, this doesn't, you know... One of the things we've talked about this over many episodes over 10 years now. One of the things I am so glad that they got rid of when it comes to Aquaman is the one hour out of water thing. Mm-hmm. Because that just is that's so limiting. Right. And it doesn't make him look great here where he is, he's riding Topo and he's talking to the Coast Guard. And uh, Buck Aquaman's like, but I'm, I'm handicapped out of the water. I can't breathe air. And he just falls into the water. And it just doesn't make him look super heroic. <laughs> have to say. Yeah, it, it was sort of ironic that that was the moment he ran out of, uh, I guess, oxygenized water in his system at that exact moment, too. I mean, come on. Yeah. It, that was his one-hour mark? You know, he could have just yeah. splashed a little water from the from the sea onto his chest or something? He's like Dracula, yeah. who's always, like, going after people right before sun, right before dawn, you know? <laughs> and like, dude, just, just, you know, why don't you just do your plan an hour earlier? Timing, uh, timing. Yeah, timing. So and then and then the story gets even goofier because Aquaman decides, well, I'm going to go to Star City because, of course, it's unprotected because Green Arrow is off hunting the wizard. And so he has this scuba helmet, which looks boss. It just looks fan. It's so retro futurism kind of thing. And it yes. looks absolutely marvelous. But not, not only does he have the, the, the water helmet, he brings a truck full of fish in a tank. And I mean... <laughs> Good Lord, I really wish they had made a toy out of this, Amigo toy playset of the Aquaman driving around an aquarium on the back of a truck. I mean, it's it's such an insane idea that I just love it. Well, and then they do crazy things with it, too, because, I mean, it's an Aquaman story. So, of course, they try and throw a little science in there. So, it gets the luminous fish all clustered together to shine light, which is apparently as bright as like a spotlight, which is just hysterical that they can sure. aim their light that well to, to, to make the goons uh, not able to see. <laughs> totally tracks. Totally tracks. Right, exactly. And then, and then they, uh, Aquaman, find, we find out that the goons are firing um, at, at Aquaman's truck. And so Aquaman's going to pin them by f- literally launching swordfish at them as if uh, they are arrows like Green Arrow. And the, the swordfish come out of the top and you hear Aquaman say, I'll order my swordfish to get him. This tank top opens at one push of this release button. <laughs> so they fly out. And you even, you, for, for those in the back, uh, the, the villains are even nice enough to say, gosh, this is just the way Green Arrow would have catched, catched us. <laughs> so I love that they even have that sort of realization of like, yeah, we would have been caught anyway, but this is the way Green Arrow would have done it. It's like, you know, like, okay, yeah. <laughs> That image, it bothered me. Like, I had trouble going to sleep the night I read this because of this image of the swordfish stuck into the wall. Because, you know, they pin those guys, and then immediately their own weight, would dra- gravity would drag them down, and their own swordfish noses would snap off. Oh. It would be horrifying and disgusting. And then, by the way, they would die because they can't breathe air. 
So, well, uh, all right. Aquaman grab. You see Aquaman throw them back into the tank a second later. Uh, that's after the police are showing up to arrest him. This is well, minutes, minutes later. How many minutes can you hold your breath, Rob? Uh, I don't. I haven't. <laughs> I haven't tried. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, that's it's a good. You know, all right. And Aquaman wouldn't do that to his to his finny friend. Uh, and then the, the same thing happens later on where uh, Topo uses a bow and arrow to apprehend uh, some more of the goons, uh, by the way. And again, and then Shark Norton is in hiding this whole time. Uh, and then there's, there's another sequence about where uh, he, he tries to steal some money using a uh, hot air balloon and Aquaman uses like a puffer fish to bring that down. So, I mean, they were big for those for people who haven't read these stories. They were really big on Aquaman and the Finny Friends. Mm-hmm. Like they they really wrote Aquaman as not all that powerful on his own. It was that he could command sea life. Mm-hmm. That was the big deal, and so that's why they felt the need to put him on the back of a truck and drive him into Star City. <laughs> uh, so then they meet. Like I said they meet at the aquarium, and it's like a whole high noon thing. And then Shark Norton shoots at the glass, crashes them all. They all come running. And I also again I love kind of how nastily violent the final scene is where the one goon is like Wee! he falls up and then the other goon gets uh, snapped in the hand by a crab mm-hmm. which is crab handcuffs as good as metal any day uh, <laughs> and then again the shark Norton gets bit literally in the ass by a shark uh, which is great and then it says it takes a shark to catch a shark and then it ends the final panel it ends with Aquaman just floating in the aquarium as they're rebuilding the tank and he's just like, okay, I'm just hanging out with my friends. I wonder how Green Arrow is doing. And then the story picks up three pages later in the Green Arrow feature, which before, I thought was awesome. Before we leave that, though, I have to talk about Aquaman swimming in the, in the tank area. Because what's happened is the tank is shattered. So it's just the, the viewing area has filled up with water, much like the, the Paramount parking lot in Star Trek IV. So the whole place is filled with water. And the fish are just swimming around. And he decides, I'm just going to let these you know, captive creatures have a little fun, a little playtime before they go back in their cages. Yep. And if you think about it, it's all his finny friends swimming around among broken glass. <laughs> and all these sharks are probably decided, woohoo, I'm finally free. I'm going to eat the eels. I'm going to eat the, the seals, whatever. So I imagine it's turned into a feeding frenzy while he's Aquaman's just, you know, floating on his back, whistling, it looks like. <laughs> if I was the sharks, I'd say, can I, can I come with you? Can I come with you to the ocean? I don't right, want to live exactly. in an aquarium. Freedom! Yeah. yeah, exactly. Sweet, sweet freedom. But, but no, 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 no. But yeah, I said what... The reason this not only is the story immensely fun, but it's unique in that it crosses over into the later story in the comic, which yep. they never did before and they would never do again. Um, so we're, I said, I'm going to do a brief synopsis for mm-hmm. the story because Aquaman's involved. So it's Green Arrow in the Underwater Archers. This is seven pages, also written by Robert Bernstein, same editor, of course, but this time it's drawn by Lee Elias, who was the regular artist on the Green Arrow strip. And, and no. what is he famous for drawing that you love? The human fly, of course. Uh, Max and? Is... Oh, yes, of course. Ultra, the multi-alien. There it is. He's my Knew guy, it was coming. man. He's my guy. <laughs> so uh, anyway, so Green Arrow and Speedy hear that the wizard is planning crimes at sea. They build some custom scuba equipment and quickly train to shoot their arrows underwater, patrolling the seas in their arrow boat. Later, the Emerald Archer spies a whale cozying up to a freighter carrying gold bullion. Upon closer inspection, he sees that the whale isn't real. It's a giant metal ship. Green Arrow and Speedy give chase, uh, tying some real whales to the wizard's craft, dragging it ashore. The wizard picks two of his favorite goons and escapes in an escape pod, leaving the rest to be arrested by the Coast Guard. The wizard then takes up in a secret base hidden inside a fake iceberg. 
Renault makes out the humming of the engines, realizing uh, that the iceberg, too, is fake. He makes some salt-tipped arrows and uses them to melt the ice, revealing the wizard and his men. The wizard escapes yet again, piloting his escape pod to a nearby giant sea monster that is tooling around the ocean floor. The wizard lures Grenero and Speedy to his location and sicks the beast on them. Luckily, Aquaman's pal Topo is there, and Grenero asks him hmm, to tell the beast they mean no harm. Once the Urzatz Godzilla understands, he peacefully walks away. The wizard then tries to escape one more time, but Grenero and Speedy nab them with some arrows. Later, as the wizard and his gang are dragged ashore, Aquaman is there to congratulate Green Arrow and Speedy for a job well done. Yay! So, all right, so Shag, what did you think of this story? Oh, it's super fun. It's super fun. I mean, what kind of goes through my mind, by the way, is uh, there was an ep- issue of Green Arrow when Kevin Smith took it over, and Batman was going somewhere with 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 Green Arrow, and they're flying around in like the Arrow plane. And in this case, it's the it's the Arrow boat that they invent, right? And Batman says to Green Arrow, "Did you ever have a single original idea?" Because every, everything Green Arrow <laughs> did, he stole from Batman. And that's just another example. Of this. But that, that was just funny for me. But the art-wise, Leo Elias, man, that whale on the very first page just looks fantastic. I don't, care about, the re, I don't care about the reality of it. It just looks amazing, the way he's coming at uh, Green Arrow and Speedy and the underwater you know, anchor. I mean, he really is getting a chance to really play in a different environment. And Leo Elias took great advantage of it. It's and I a love- gorgeous, gorgeous-looking strip. Yeah, it really is. I love the wizard with his giant glasses. I mean, the whole thing is super fun. The story is super fun. You know, the Godzilla creature is interesting. because You said this is 1959, right? Yeah. That is only four, f- uh, five years after Godzilla was invented. That's right. Which is, which is right. sort of shocking to think about that he was already, well, because I mean, they, they clearly paint this as Godzilla without using the name. They talk about the whole thing. It, it, it's clearly without a doubt Godzilla. So it's interesting that he was, you know, in the, in the mindset enough to already appear here. And, um, I had a lot of, no, okay. Godzilla, at first, I thought he was the fire trolls from the Aquaman story. Aquaman number one. Yeah, which, had that come out at this point? No, that comes out later, doesn't it? Yeah, no, Aquaman wouldn't get his own series until 62. Oh, wow, okay, so I'm totally off base there. But um, anyway, so it was super fun. I enjoyed it. I love the team-up sort of moment at the end where Aquaman's like, you know, he's either, I can't tell whether he's helping Green Arrow out of the boat or they're just shaking hands, I'm not sure which. <laughs> but it's a, it's a super fun strip and uh it, it was i, I joy i just I, I don't have anything else to say but joy on this one i first of all i love that uh the wizard when he escapes the first time he talks about he says too bad only three of us can escape in my emergency underwater rocket <laughs> but i promise to avenge this defeat he totally leaves his crew behind and we see them in the next panel getting arrested right? i absolutely i love that he picked like his two favorite goons to go with him <laughs> and the rest guys were like well it sucks to be you guys is you know unfortunate that you work for the wizard um i yeah the thing with the godzilla like the godzilla creature comes in on page six of a seven page story (laughs) and appears for six panels and then when the godzilla creature realizes that the green arrow and speedy are not there to harm him thanks to topo telling him by the way topo has uh, the power of telepathy so that's a new one right i love that the godzilla creature just walks away He's yeah. just like, oh, okay, sorry. And he, rah, 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 and he just walks off, and that's it. <laughs> Robert Bernstein was like, yeah, I'm going to bring in a Godzilla creature on page six of my seven-page story. And uh, by halfway through page seven, he walks away. That's it. It's done. We're fine. Well, um, the, way, the, way, the way the wizard introduces him, he says it was a creature he came across just last week. Yeah, just last week. Well, it's the DC universe. These creatures are just everywhere. Well, it's a, it's a sea survey. He specifically says it's hibernating for centuries in an abyss until an underwater atomic bomb test awoke in him. 
So uh, yeah, they're not even trying to hide the connection. No, it's totally Godzilla. Uh, and the the last panel you mentioned, where Aquaman is there to greet Green Arrow and Speedy, it's so brief that it's sort of like beautifully frustrating because <laughs> it's like, why didn't they just do a full team up? Robert Bernstein wrote both segments. Like, why didn't he just do a full team? And but it was like it was kind of like superhero shows in this like you know as well as i do that if like if they had ever crossed over any marvel superhero into the hulk they would have met for like three seconds Mm -hmm. you know what i mean like they just didn't they didn't think people could handle it and i mean obviously the justice society been around another team so it wasn't like superheroes combined superman and batman were a team but they were still they just didn't occur to them to like cross them over that much so I don't think it really even occurred to Robert Bernstein that you could do like a 15-page Aquaman Green Arrow story. It's like, no, no, no. It's two separate stories. And at the very end, Aquaman's like, hi, Green Arrow, and that's it. You right. Know? And it's just, it's, they were just keeping it sort of minimal. That was just the way they did things. But it's so sort of frustrating when you realize, oh, they could have been teaming up all this time. But man, again, I mean, the Lee Elias work, and we'll, you'll see some of these pages on the website, Fire and Water Podcast, God, it's gorgeous. It's it really is. And as much as I like what he's been doing over on Human Fly, what I talked with uh, over with Max, like he was paired with inkers that I don't think I don't think did him as great a service as he did for himself because he inks himself here. And I mean, this stuff is just so beautiful. And uh, you know, I mean, this this stuff needs to be. I don't know if this stuff's been reprinted. I don't think so. But man, it needs to be because it is just gorgeous. Well, I suspect since if it's if it's on the DC app. That means they took the time to clean it up. And mm. usually that means it was for That's a collected true. edition That's at some true. point. I, I love uh, on page five, there is, it's just one panel, but it's, it's a ship that's uh, leaning sideways in the, di- mm-hmm. in the distance. But he puts so much detail into it. And yeah. you, can see, uh, you can see the mast and the windows and everything on it. It just it looks beautiful. Uh, and, and then on the submarine, there's all this detail work in the background. It is an incredibly gorgeously, beautifully uh, rendered thing. I didn't realize he inked it himself, but that actually makes a lot of sense to explain why all, even the background, background stuff is so beautifully illustrated in it. Right. And the Wizard's Escape Pod has that same kind of retrofuturism thing that I mentioned in the Aquaman story where it, it's just, it's really, really beautiful. And it's, this would be, that one panel would be the only time Aquaman would ever be drawn by Lee Elias. That's it. That's the one shot we get. Uh, there's not much there. He's just sort of leaning into the frame. I would have loved to have seen Ramona Freight and draw a green arrow. Mm-hmm. That would have been really cool too, but they never, and, and it's so funny that like the Legion, I bet the, the way comics were, were done back then, like the Legion and the Superboy were the lead features and they were never going to lose the cover to Aquaman and green arrow. But it's like, you think about this is a special team up. That might've been something you could have mentioned on the cover. Like, hey, kids, special issue. Aquaman meets Green Arrow for the first time. No, no, you just got to buy, you know, plunk down your 10 cents and you'll find out later. Yeah, it does. It is. I was going to argue against your, your thoughts just because I like trying to show you wrong. But the more I think about it, I think you're kind of right in that they knew team-ups were popular. Otherwise, the Legion of Superheroes wouldn't have existed. They knew right. the JSA worked. So I don't know, yeah, why they would have shied away from it. I mean, by this point, World's Finest is going. So, right. yeah, why, right. why wouldn't they lean into it? I, I, I can't rationalize it. I thought I was on a path, but I talked myself out of it. Yeah, so Aquaman, strange. Aquaman never got a cover. He never appeared on a single comic book cover until Brave and the Bold number 28. Mm. So it just, he just, unfortunately, that was just the way. Green Arrow got covers on more fun all the time, but Aquaman never did. Uh, so it's a take darn a, shame. Take a, hint, take a hint, Rob. Yeah, well, I know. Uh, both more <laughs> Weinzinger characters. 
Um, but nevertheless, just, it's super. This team, it's just I just love this thing so much. Both adventures are fun, drawn by incomparable artists. But also, it's the bonus nerd feature of just seeing them together. Yeah, it's an absolute win. It's an absolute yeah. win. And again, folks, it's available on DC Unlimited, uh, our DC Infinite. If you want to read it, it's definitely worth your time. It's uh, it's very enjoyable. I'm glad we. Were, I had never read this. I was aware of its existence, but I had never read it until we did it for the show. Yeah, it's great. All right, we ready to move on? Yeah, let's go. Okay, so we are going to talk about Firestorm Volume 1, Issue Number 2. So what this is, is uh, when Firestorm first reviewed in 1977, December, he had a five-issue series that got canceled due to the implosion. And so we're going to cover the second issue. So this is only Firestorm's second appearance ever. And I wanted to talk about it because it is one of my absolute favorite comic books of all time. I adored this comic book growing up when I read it. Um, you know, I've got a whole story on it, but first let me give, I'll give you the facts on it. It's obviously published by DC Comics. Cover date is April 1978, but it was on the shelves January 10th, 1978. Cover price was only 35 cents. Writer was Jerry Conway, pencilers Al Milgram, inkers Bob McLeod, letters Ben Oda, colors just Adrian Roy, editor is Jack C. Harris. The issue itself is called Danger Doubled is Death. And it's 17 pages. Now, the cover here, this is, this is something that I just absolutely adore. So you got the, the big Firestorm logo across the top, and you got Firestorm. He's getting pasted by uh, two multiplexes, and he's flying at you like he's been knocked off, uh, off balance. And Superman is there watching over him, looking very, very disapproving. And Firestorm says, you're the man of steel. Help me tackle multiplex, the duplicate villain. And Superman says, sorry, kid, you're on your own. You get this giant arrow pointing to Superman says, Firestorm's fearsome first foray against the fission-formed fiend. Guest starring, guess who? So, I mean, what a great Superman dickery moment. I mean, Firestorm is clearly on the ropes. He's a brand new hero, and Superman just says, screw you, kid. I, uh, I absolutely love that. <laughs> what do they get the cover? Uh, yeah, it's, it's a lot of fun. And, yeah, I can't get past the super dickery thing. And it's sort of funny. Comics, not too long after this, would kind of become more self-aware and I think the super dickery stuff would stop. Mm-hmm. But this, this is, so this is probably one of the last instances of super dickery, but it's not, it's, it's definitely not the last because I can think of yep. another one yep. where Superman inducts Firestorm, fire, again, Firestorm, inducts super, Firestorm into the JLA, which of course is after this, where he's basically like, Firestorm has joined the JLA. Any questions? Yeah. And it's like, so <laughs> something about Firestorm really brings out the dick in Superman. <laughs> It could be. It could be. So I, I wanted to talk specifically about the cover. Just this is this is the personal story I was going to tell. Is that when I first fell in love with Firestorm, I've told the story in the show, so I won't go into great depths. But I fell in love when Firestorm was issue twenty eight, and I went on a big back issue hunt to buy as many back issues as I could very quickly. And I was lucky enough to find Fury of Firestorm number one, which is the Pat Broderick issue, of course. And I found issue number three uh, of Fury of Firestorm, which is when they fight Killer Frost, the JLA comes and everything. But I did not find number two. Uh, it took me a while to find that. What I did find, though, was this issue number two. In fact, this was the only issue of the original five-issue run that I had for a long time. So I had a collection of Firestorm as a kid, issues one, two, and three, but not all from the same series. Hmm. And not having the internet, not having you know the Overstreet Price Guide, any of that, I couldn't understand why this didn't make sense chronologically as I had them sitting there together. I'm like, issue one... The art looks like this. It looks kind of similar in issue three, but the, the art in issue two looks completely different. And, and the logo looks different. I don't under, like, I couldn't understand why this why they issue changed two. the price so fast. Right. Exactly. So I, eventually I dug in and you know, when I say it bothered me, like in my mind, it bothered me for like a year 
But, you know, kid time doesn't make any sense. It may have just been an afternoon. I don't really know, folks, but let's pretend it was a year. Either way. So I'm sitting here going, like, but how did they publish issue number two you know, five years before issue number one and three? This doesn't make any sense. I just couldn't process it because nowhere did I have any information that told me there was a previous Firestorm series. So uh, that was very confusing to me. And it made this particular issue stand out in my mind for a long, long time. You were not a gifted child. Apparently not. (laughs) Thanks for your support. All right, so I'm going to do the recap here. And as usual, I wrote a recap that's far too long, but I don't care. I love this comic book so much. In fact, we were going to cover it uh, last episode on the Firestorm team-ups episode. But I told Ross, I'm like, you know what? I'm going to hold off because I'm saving this for our 10-year anniversary episode. All right, so here's the recap, folks. Firestorm, who's a brand new hero, by the way, only a second appearance ever. He apprehends a group of mob enforcers who are muscling an old man in the city street. Then Firestorm begins showing off his powers to the delight of several onlookers. Ronnie decides to impress a beautiful woman by transmuting an old newspaper into a bouquet of plastic flowers, which causes her to faint, to the dismay of her boyfriend. Firestorm flies off and separates into Ronnie Raymond and Professor Martin Stein. Now, at this point, the reader gets a recap of Firestorm's origins. Ronnie returns home while the confused Martin Stein returns to the Hudson nuclear power plant. Now, at this point, Professor Stein does not remember any of his exploits as part of the Firestorm composite hero. He simply can't remember them. And Ronnie hasn't told him because Ronnie's a dick. Uh, Then at the plant, the police are investigating the explosion from the previous day, which was in issue number one. And because of Stein's faulty memory as Firestorm, he's unable to answer many of the questions about what happened that night. Then arrives another man, Danton Black, and he accuses Stein of stealing his work and destroying the power plant in order to cover up the theft. Now, we as the reader know that Dan Black is lying because this is an era where they still gave us thought balloons. Meanwhile, Ronnie struggles with insults from Cliff Carmichael and Ronnie's own father, voicing disapproval of the vigilante heroes like Firestorm. Over in Metropolis, uh, some new stranger enters the story named Clark Kent, and he's finishing his nightly WGBS newscast and decides afterwards to investigate this new superhero Firestorm, but he'll investigate as Superman. And at this point, it gets a little confusing because there's a Superman hostess story in the middle of it, which confused the crap out of me (laughs) as a kid. (laughs) <laughs> I was like, why is this happening? Uh, then Martin Stein arrives at the Hudson Power Plant and tries to get many of the destroyed systems back online. Two identical villains calling themselves Multiplex burst into the room and attack Stein. Miles away, Ronnie Raymond feels the impact of Multiplex's blows against Stein's jaw. He theorizes that he and the professor are tied together somehow, even when they're separated from the Firestone persona. You know, maybe Ronnie has heard of the Corsican brothers, which was first published in 1844, though Cheech and Chong's version is probably a little more Ronnie's speed, though it wouldn't get released for another six years. Ronnie triggers the transformation into Firestorm, and this is the first time they've ever emerged from a distance. Multiplex has already absorbed massive amounts of atomic radiation by the time Firestorm arrives at the power plant, and with all this added power, he successfully beats Firestorm back. The fight carries out into the street, which attracts the attention of the Man of Steel. Superman flies down and introduces himself to Firestorm in a really freaky panel where we can see Firestorm's pupils. Superman sizes him up and Superman sizes him up, and in order to see if the young man is actually the hero that he claims to be. Firestorm's humbled to be in the presence of Superman, so much in fact that he completely forgets about Multiplex. Multiplex takes advantage of the distraction and gets away. Firestorm tracks him down and finds him at State University, very cleverly named there. Uh, There, Multiplex has broken into the campus radiation vault and is in the process of stealing even more power. Firestorm cuts off the villain's radiation supply by turning the plutonium into compounds of phosphorus. With Multiplex's powers failing him, Firestorm easily punches out both doppelgangers uh, of the villains. They remove both their masks and find out that they are both, in fact, Danton Black, Martin Stein's former research assistant. 
Turns out Danton was present at the Hudson Nuclear Power Point during the explosion that fused both Ronnie and Stein together into Firestorm. Now, in Black's case, however, the nuclear radiation had a fission effect rather than fusion. Rather than merging the body uh, into two, into one, it, it granted him the ability to split into two different beings. Then at the hospital, Multiplex's powers wear off and the two beings remerge into one body. Later, Firestorm meets Superman again, and Superman thinks the young hero shows a lot of promise and that one day soon, Superman may just nominate Firestorm to join the Justice League. Da-da-da! All right. Now, I've got, obviously, tons to say about this comic. Again, it's one of my favorites of all time. Rob, what would you think of this issue? I mean, it's enormous fun, and uh, we've talked about this in, in previous uh, episodes where we talked about really old Firestorm comics, but of course, this is basically the first Firestorm comic post-origin. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, it's literally like kind of the first Firestorm adventure outside of his creation. And it is just, um, it's really funny to see how nailed down Jerry Conway had the formula because this feels like a Spider-Man comic. I yeah. mean, on purpose. That's not at all meant to be an insult. Jerry Conway admitted it, that he wanted to write a Marvel-like series in DC. And he was sort of using the Spider-Man formula. And it feels like a Spider-Man comic right from the very beginning so jerry had this down right from the very beginning um bringing in superman classic move for dc comics uh of course if this comic had been published you know 10 years later batman would have been the guest <laughs> uh but no it's it's great fun it moves at a great pace firestorm's given a bunch of fun stuff to do al milgram does some really inventive layouts uh there's some really fun stuff i love the recap of the origin mm-hmm. um even really using like the kind of the stock firestorm pose which is fun. Uh, I well, really... this is this is this is where the stock first round pose was created. This was oh, is it? Stock... Oh, it's not in the first issue. Uh, that one where he's flying at you with his hand yeah. kind of up and yeah. That, this is where it first starts. Oh, okay, okay. Doesn't this end up get? Doesn't it end up getting used in like the letter column? Or I'm something? pretty sure it does. I'm pretty yeah, sure. Yeah, I know mean, I've seen that image before. So yeah, I I thoroughly enjoyed it. But again, it was it. It's kind of like a sh- you know when you watch like a sitcom or actually any TV show really, and you go back and you watch like the first episode and you go, wow, the show is really different than how it would be later on and then there's some shows you watch and you're like wow they had it like uh, ryan and i talked about on cheers like they had cheers kind of down from the pilot on mm-hmm. and that's what firestorm feels like it's like oh yeah jerry just totally knew what he wanted to do and was able to do it yeah i mean if you look at everything's there cliff carmichael's there uh the girlfriend is there this the the crazy supervillain this tidal radiation is there the the uh, firestorm and Professor causing each other problems are there. It's, it's, you're right. The template is absolutely there from the beginning. And I'm glad you drew the Marvel analogy because that's one of the, my notes too, is this feels like you're reading a Bronze Age Marvel comic. It really, really does. And that in, in a good way, it really does. Uh, and you get everything you need to understand Firestorm. And that's why this was so perfect for me reading early in my uh, collecting because it gives you the origin recap. You learn everything about the powers. You see Firestorm merge. You see him fly. You see him shoot blasts. He transmutes stuff. He demonstrates super strength, which isn't something that you talk about too often with Firestorm, but it's there he walks through walls apparently has accelerated atomic healing which i don't know if that really comes into play (laughs) later on but anyway again you get the subplots multiplex is basically firestorms what i call dark mirror you know the same sort of origin could have you know the scientist could have gone this is how the way professor stein could have gone is it could have turned evil it would have been like this so it's everything you need is right there and um so much fun i'm glad you mentioned uh milgram too because i like multiplex's design i love multiplex's design that helmet I can't think of another villain that's got a helmet like that. Am I am I missing something there, or is that fairly original? Um, I can't think of it. I mean, it's a it's a classic classic. It's a I'm really working into the show here. Uh, yeah. Do FDR quick. Do FDR. 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> Hello there, folks. Um, <laughs> excuse me, I'm drinking. Uh, Multiplex's costume is one of those costumes that, as you, because obviously they did Multiplex in in live action, which I something I can't believe I get to say, uh, which we never would have said ten years ago. But it's one of those costumes that looks great in a comic book, and you're like, yeah, but if you put a human in it, they would look utterly ridiculous. But that's kind of the best thing about superhero costumes, is right? That, you know, they, they work on the page, and then. Yeah, you realize, no, you'd look like a complete moron. Wearing <laughs> well, the lab blew up less than 24 hours ago. Where did Danton Black even, because, you know, one panel he's wearing shredded clothes, and the next one he's got this supervillain costume. Where did he even get that in less than 24 hours? <laughs> There's a costume shop, I'm sure. In, I guess. They actually had a character in the Marvel Universe who made costumes for villains. That was oh. like his thing. So I, I would assume DC, there's somebody in DC who does that too. Yeah, yeah. The Flash story uh, had all that. I think his name was Gamby, maybe. And he did it for all the rogues. Absolutely. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. But I love like when, when Multiplex splits, even the emblems on his chest become reversed. So to show yep. you that like this is the left one, this is the right one. Oh, it looks great. Uh, and another thing that's in here that you just don't see too much after uh, the first few years of Firestorm is, and if you look right at the cover, you'll see what I'm talking about. Firestorm has a notch in his cowl, and it's uh, right next to his temple. Tem- temple. It's just this little point that comes out right next to like his eyebrow, where his eyebrow would be. I don't know mm-hmm. if you see what I'm talking about. Yep, yep, yep. Pretty much Milgram and Perez are the only ones who draw that. <laughs> After that, no one ever drew that little notch in there. And in fact, if, to this day, if you get George Perez to draw you a sketch of Firestorm, he puts it in there. Uh, but it just disappears. Because George Perez. That's, that is true. But it, it always brings me joy whenever I see that. And it's throughout the whole thing, because Milgram obviously designed the costume. But and to see Superman mentoring the younger hero looks great. And Because DC didn't have a lot of young heroes with their own books. I mean, they had the Teen Titans, but none of them had their own series. Pretty much any series that DC was launching, again, unless I'm forgetting something, featured a character who was more of an adult. And this one's clearly the, the Marvel teenage style. I will say, I found it odd that in the middle of the adventure, Superman would take time to rescue those people in the elevator and give them hostess cupcakes. <laughs> it seems like a strange diversion to me. It really did confuse the crap out of me when I first read this. I'm not kidding. I mean, I knew what the hostess ads were, but it's still, I was like, what? I don't, why is this? Like, it seems to me, if you're going to put a hostess ad in a comic, you should specifically pick a character that's not in that comic. You know, they, they did have a rule that you were not supposed to run a hostess ad featuring a character whose book it was running in. Okay. And so you didn't have Batman hostess ads in Batman comics, Superman, Superman, Wonder Woman, Wonder Woman. The problem was it, that was probably done relatively automatically. So they probably just drew the Superman one and slotted it into, okay, what books? Firestorm, uh, Weird War Tales, Claw, Claw the the Unconquered, uh, Unknown Soldier, uh, you know what I mean? And they didn't, no one told the people stripping in the ads, well, wait a minute, Superman's in this one. Yeah. You know what I mean? And that's why, like, they had, like, people always wonder, like, why did Red Tornado get his own hostess ad? And that was because they occasionally needed an ad featuring a character that didn't have his own book. Right. So they could slot it in here and there, but it is, it is really funny that it, not only does the ad run, it, it runs after a page with Superman on it. Mm-hmm. So it really, when you, if you scan the book really quickly, you're like, wait a minute, why is he? Oh, wait, no, this is a hostess ad. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I got an art thing I want to point out, but I don't have any page numbers. I'm looking at my copy digitally on DC universe okay. and in the trade paperbacks. I don't know what page number it is, but it's uh, towards the end of the book. 
Okay. After they, they've uh, Superman has shown up, it's the page after Firestorm sees Superman for the first time, and you see his pupils, which is so disturbing. But it's the page after that. It's where Fire, uh, Multiplex has gotten away, and Firestorm's like slapping himself on the forehead. Yes. Only when you're there. Yeah. Okay. Page, page half- fifteen of the story. Okay, thank you. But halfway down, there is an amazing drawing of the floating Professor Steinhead by mm-hmm. Al Milgram mm-hmm. in the way he does. He only shows the shadows. That's how yes, he does the he whole thing. It. Yeah. Yeah. Th- that that technique. It looks gorgeous. It's absolutely beautiful. I love it. Yeah, it's fun. It's a nice. It's a nice inversion of what you typically see the way it's drawn. So it's nice. And, and as I go back to look at issue one, I don't think we ever saw a floating. Yeah, we never saw a floating Steinhead like that in the mm-hmm. issue. There was no Stein sort of giving Ronnie advice there. There was a couple where you saw a floating head, but you see Ronnie and Professor talking to each other inside the Matrix. But yeah, that's the first time we really saw the traditional floating Ronnie head was on this page, and it just looks great. It's a hell of a way to start that tradition. There's also a nice little detail in the very next panel where Firestorm takes off and you see Superman's cape is blowing in the breeze from the from the wind that mm-hmm. Firestorm created. And it's just a nice little detail. I talk about that all the time on uh, the For All Mankind show that Ram- 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 Ramona Freight, I'm, I'm tipsy here, Ramona <laughs> Freighton, uh throws in little bits of, of realism in this obviously crazy comic booky, cartoony world, but I like that. I like that, that Milgram took the effort to draw Superman with his cape fluttering in the breeze as opposed to him, you know, as opposed to with just laying there. Yep. Uh, it's a nice little, just, you know, it's just a little thing to throw in. They're like, yeah, Firestorm creates a big breeze when he takes off like that, as would anybody who is uh, doing a vertical takeoff. Like that. Man, Superman really has his legs spread in that shot. He does. But- that is a very, very, <laughs> he's really, yeah, he's really spreading. So look at Firestorm. This, I'm glad you brought up the, that aspect because in that same panel, you see Firestorm flying. And folks, this, this right here is the reason why Firestorm has puffy sleeves. As much as ribbing <laughs> as he gets for his puffy sleeves, when Al Milgram, and he told me this in an interview, when Al Milgram designed the character, Name he drum. wanted to demonstrate, yes, right? He wanted to demonstrate movement. And so they decided, all right, if Firestorm doesn't have a cape, how do we show him moving while he's flying? So they decided the flaming hair would move just like you're seeing here. And his sleeves would react as all, almost like a cape does to show the fluttering in the wind. So you can see the puppy sleeves is really dragging behind him as he's flying. And that's the whole reason for the puffy sleeves, to show motion. Brilliant. Great idea. Yep. yep. Uh, last two things on my notes here. So in this issue, Cynthia, uh, the girl, acknowledges that Firestorm's hair is on fire before she passes out. And he says it's an illusion which is interesting to read in the early days because, of course, that's going to change depending on whatever the artist or the writer needs for the issue. So that's never consistent. But I will attribute this comic for teaching me the difference between fusion and fission at a young age. I had, you know, in, in, at age 12, I had no idea what those two things were. So this, I would say, uh, I'm happy to say that that's where I learned the difference between fusion and fission with this comic. Thank you, Jerry Conway. <laughs> So again, Firestorm number two, a wonderful comic, also available on DC Infinite if you haven't read it. It is so good. It is a great team-up issue, and it brings me so much joy to talk about it here in this episode. And uh, I had to wait 10 years. Can you believe it? I had to wait 10 years to talk about this comic book, Rob. That's insane. I was shocked when you put it in the notes that I was like, we didn't do this nope. before? <laughs> like, really? When, Considering when- how many comics we've covered, we didn't get to this? When we started our classic coverage, we started with the Fury of Firestorm series. Okay. Uh, and we went forward from there because we felt like, well, that was a longer run, even though we petered out somewhere in the 40s. We never finished. But hmm. someday, someday I'm going to get you to read the elemental issues. And uh, we'll, uh, we'll okay. talk them. <laughs> I'll have to enough. get them really drunk, folks. I may just stay in the 50s and 60s because I am, I am so in love with these Aquaman stories from Adventure Comics that, uh, and I covered them a lot on the Shrine. Mm-hmm. But, uh, and they're, 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 and, 
it's funny. They're not less work to recap because comics in the fifties were so dense. Right. The, the recap was just my recap for the Aquaman story at eight pages was as long as Shag's was for double that length. <laughs> um, so it's not like it's less work, but they're so fun. So that might be, you know, we're again, we're going to go off and do other things. And then we do JSA together and, and who's who we still got that to do. But I, I would be inclined to go back and do more of these just because they are, they're just such a blast. And that's what it's all about is we're going to keep the show going on a less frequent basis, less frequent than it already is, but it's <laughs> going to be driven by joy. And, and, and that's what it, we're not going to feel obligated to cover something we don't want to want to cover anymore. Um, it's been a while since we've done one of those sort of obligated episodes, but it's, we're just, we're just not going to do it. This is about having fun. It's about following our passion and that's what we want to do. So Rob podcasting 10 years together. I never thought that, uh, some stranger who called me on a Saturday, uh, and we sat and talked on the phone for an hour would turn into a lifelong friend, but, uh, I'm glad it has, man. Absolutely. We have been through a lot together. We've been through a lot of life changes together. Uh, you know, and, uh, sometimes I, sometimes we, well, not sometimes, a lot of times we bust on each other very, very viciously. And, uh, (laughs) sometimes people get worried like, guys, what do you do? You know, like, no, 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 no. And, you know, I said, I, we wouldn't have, we wouldn't have all this had you and I stuck it out. I mean, there were times over the course of the 10 years where we were so dedicated to getting a show out on a Sunday and we didn't have like we were sometimes once or I think once or twice we recorded a show on Sunday morning. Yeah. And then yeah. I rush edited it and get it, get it out. Got it. I'm drunk. Got it out. <laughs> uh, I can't hold my liquor. I am no yeah. Marion Ravenwood and, but got it out same day because we were so dedicated to, we were so appreciative that people would take time out of their day. There's so much to pull your attention now that we felt so fortunate that anyone would take, you know, an hour or two of their week to listen to what we were doing, that the least we can do is get it out on time. And so we were, there was a couple of times I said we recorded Saturday night, Sunday morning, once in a while, you know, every so often I couldn't do it and you would fill in or vice versa. We had an, an enormous amount of dedication uh, to this and we still do. We still do. And, you know, I mean, look, I've, I'll probably regret saying this, but I mean, you know, I do have a, I do have a biological brother. I'm not very close with him, uh, but I have one in you and Aww. it's an amazing thing to, to have together. And again, like brothers, sometimes we get on each other's nerves <laughs> and the best way you do it is you just chill out and you say, I'm going to go off and do JLI. <laughs> I'm going to go off and do for all mankind. And we'll meet back up in a couple of weeks to talk about who's who or whatever. But I said, I am so glad that I reached out to you and I'm so glad that you said yes. And I'm so glad that we've been doing this together for, for 10, 10 years. <laughs> 10 years. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and I don't know where I, you know, who knows what the future will bring, but I'm, I'm really proud of what we've accomplished. Oh, I'm, ex- I'm exceptionally proud of what we've done. And it's, it's funny. I didn't put any of what I was going to say in my notes and you hit almost every beat. Of it. I was going to call you my brother. I was going to refer to the whole network actually as a family because it's exactly right there. There are times where it's tough <laughs> in any relationship, whether it's a working relationship, a family relationship, there's going to be days where you're like, you know, I've kind of had enough of you for today. I still <laughs> love you. I'm still always going to have your back but I don't want to be your friend today you know, or whatever. And that's okay. That's Time relationship- to log off. <laughs> <laughs> that's what happens in friendships. That's what happens with family. But I always know at the end of the day, you're going to have my back. I'm going to have your back. And we're going to be in this for as long as we, as long as we keep bringing us joy. 
And you know what? Even someday, if the podcast falls apart and dies because, I don't know, whatever, there's no more RSS feeds in the world left yeah. to do. If it falls uh, apart, it'll probably be because of Ryan. Let's be uh, well, that, that money's been out there since 2016. We're all just <laughs> waiting for that bet to drop. But regardless, I know that even if the podcast ends, I've still got a lifelong friend in you. And so I appreciate that. And I, I love you, brother. And uh, I'm really, really proud of what we've done. And I look forward to doing more, whatever we do. Absolutely. So and thank, the, all, thank all of you out there for listening to this nonsense for 10 right, years. Right. So here's to another 10 years of the ultra, the multi-alien podcast. So that oh, we're going to be starting we gotta, up. I got to start that. Once citizen Kane is over. I'm gonna start right. It. I'm sure. Are you going to cover what three issues and be done? <laughs> <laughs> so uh, folks right now, the best place to communicate with us is go out to our website, just firewaterpodcast.com. Find episode 253, 10 years episode celebration. Uh, leave your comments on the website or hit us up on social media. We're on Facebook. We're on Twitter. Uh, either as Fire and Water Podcast or Rob and I both have multiple accounts at different places. And just tell us either what you loved about these stories. Tell us either what this podcast has meant to you or that it's been a waste of your time every week for 10 years, you know, whatever. <laughs> but uh, feel free to share some stories, share your thoughts, and uh, just know that we appreciate you. And, if, and honestly, we probably would have given up, Rob, if we hadn't gotten so much feedback and the community hadn't grown. Because that was, I remember a lot of the early days, we talked a lot about that. Like, oh my gosh, I can't believe, you know, we've got all this feedback to talk about. And all these people want to share these thoughts. And we found their comments funny and insightful. And then Russell Burbage would put on his angry pants. And, you know, all these different things would happen. And it was all because of you folks at home being part of it. Because it's not just Rob and I show. It's all of our show. And so, yeah, please continue with that and uh, drop a line. Absolutely. We'd love to hear from you guys. All right, folks. So that's going to do it. Happy 10-year anniversary to all of us together, and here's to another 10 years. And remember, fan the flame and ride the wave. Aquaman and Firestorm fighting crime together. Soak them down or burn them up. No one does it better. Whenever you find trouble, they'll always be there to catch them in a bubble or even torch their hair. They stand for truth and justice and see a land in there. Aquaman and Firestorm, they make a super pair. Aquaman and Firestorm, super friends forever. Yeah. Ten years, man. Ten, ten years. Ten years. Ten. Ten. Years! Ten years!